What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts for today, Simon Villanos, a.k.a. Coach V. And I am one of your other co-hosts, Mason Austin. And today on this episode 92, I want to say here, we are going to be talking about offensive tackles uh, here in the state of Colorado in the class of 2022. And boy, are there a lot. Um, I'm just going to say this right now. There are 11 ranked offensive tackles in the state of Colorado in this class of 2022, 11. And so everyone on this list, I'm just going to say this right now. Everyone on this list is ranked with at least three stars and is committed to a D1 as of right now. Uh, that is December 9, 2021. And so this is a very dominant list. Even our honorable mentions are really good. There are a lot of guys that, you know, maybe I don't know about any other year because Colorado's low-key stacked at offensive linemen every year, especially offensive tackle. But these are guys that could probably make top five lists in the majority of other states here in the U.S. in this class of 2022. Mason, would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, with that being said, let's go ahead and hop into this one. Mason, do you want to go ahead and introduce our number five ranked offensive tackle here in Colorado in the class of 2022? Yeah, so our number five ranked offensive tackle in the class of 2022 is six foot seven, 300 pound, three star commit to CU Travis Gray at a Cherokee Trail High School. Um, I know that was a lot to say all at once, but yeah, he is committed to CU, and I was wondering if it's okay if I go ahead and talk about his, you know, his pros. Yeah, go for it. So I think he's a tremendous athlete. Um, he's probably one of the most athletic kids on this list. Uh, and he's like just that got that raw athletic talent that just, you know, shows exceptional strength. Uh, he's probably one of the faster, if not the fastest. I think there's a couple guys above him that are probably a little faster um, in the run game. I think that he dominates almost every play. He blocks downhill. He never stops like moving his feet. He never stops throwing his hands around. I've seen him, you know, he uses that 300 pounds to his, his like, I guess, benefit. Um, he can be a really good at tackle, but I feel, I feel being at a tackle position at the next level, they might move him inside because he is so dominant in the run game. But right now, I think that he's probably, well, for one, he's the top five, one of our top five. But I think he's probably the best size-wise that we have on this list. Could you agree with that, Simon? Yeah, no, absolutely. He's listed at 6'7", 300. Even the 6'7", could be a little bit of a stretch because he just towers over everyone he plays. Like, he sticks out when you watch him play football, man. Like, looks like a giant, built like a Greek god. You know, he's at 300 pounds, but he might weigh a little bit more, too. So... I'm just going to throw that out there because, I mean, this dude looks like a whole giant out there at left tackle for Cherokee Trail. Yeah, and I think that, honestly, I, I think his, the 300 pounds, like, I think it might be more towards, like, 315, 320. But it's, don't get me, don't get it twisted. It is, it is not, like, fat at all. He is built, and he shows it. Is there anything else you want to add before going on and talking about, you know, the areas of improvement, Simon? 
No, not too much. Honestly, I mean, he's dominant. Like, the biggest thing, the biggest strength about Travis Gray is that uh, he's an excellent athlete. He might be one of the best athletes in the entire state. And in my opinion, I think he's the best athlete on this list, period. You know, which is saying a lot for somebody that is ranked at number five. You know, but you'll see why. You know, but I think he's just somebody who, I mean, it, it's it was kind of hard for him to not get a D1 offer and get offered here because, I mean, he's just a freak of nature at six, seven, three hundred pounds. Like he dominates. You know, he's fast. He's strong, um, especially in the run game. Like it shows. Like he's just excellent and. He just dominates defensive players on walking downhill. Mason, you went to this game, but in the first round of the playoffs, he got to go against uh, Nathan Hallmark. Oh, my gosh, from Fossil Ridge, right? Yeah, from Fossil Ridge. Yeah, so do you want to tell us how that went? By the way, Nathan Hallmark got a sack pretty much every game except for this one playoff game, and I think Nathan Hallmark is also the – uh, he's second in the entire state in sacks, but you want to talk about that real quick before I talk about areas of improvements for Travis Gray? Oh, yeah, definitely. So I watched this game, and so to start, like, Nathan Olmark is not a slouch by any means. Like he said, he had a sack in every single game. He did, you know, he is number two in the sack, like, leading for the entire state. So, like, he was getting after it, and any time they switched Hallmark's side, to the opposite side, Hallmark was in the face of the quarterback the whole time. He didn't get a sack because, you know, the Cherokee Trail quarterback over there is really good. But and then but like the second he was on Travis Gray's side, it was it was lock up. The second his hands were on him, he didn't move Travis and he definitely took care of the situation. Um I don't think Hallmark, if he had to face a Travis Gray every week, I don't think that Hallmark would have had half the amount of sacks. Because, you know, he still, you know, would make his plays because he is a good player over there. But Travis Gray definitely got it done. Yeah, so there you go there. And Hallmark, he's probably going to – I mean, you know, he, he might make our edge rusher list here, which is going to be hard to put together because uh, we haven't <laughs> done that yet. But, you know, he's, he's at the conversation there at, you know – at the least, he'll probably be an honorable mention there. And so he's no slouch at all. And for Travis Gray to dominate um, that matchup, it's huge, especially in the playoffs. So there you go. But let me go ahead and talk about some things that Travis here could improve on, some reasons why also he is ranked at number five. I think as far as skills go, he's the most raw. Like a lot of these guys are very refined skill-wise, you know, but Travis here – um, especially in pass protection, I just feel like he'd be a lot better, you know, just a lot more refined. His footwork could get a little messy at times. You know, his stance is kind of weird. Uh, like I said, I'm talking about pass pro specifically here. And uh, and like I said, it just needs to be refined. You know, you got to clean that up. I think he has the ability to have really good footwork, uh, a solid stance where he could get enough power or the maximum amount of power that he can, you know, both in pass pro and in the run game. But it's just very all over the place. It's very, it's very inconsistent at times as well. And so there are times where he just, uh, I mean, like you'll get the block, but it's just, it, it looks really messy and, and it's not pretty at all on the next level. You know, he's, he is going to see you. He's going to play in the Pac-12. He's going to, I mean, he's going to figure that out. He's going to have to figure that out. 
in order to battle some pass rushers in the in the Pac-12, which is a Power 5 D1 school, uh, or sorry, Power 1 D5 conference. So there you go there. Um, another thing that I kind of want to see more improvement here is his hand fighting. I just, it's not as good as anybody else on this list, in my opinion. I think it's a little messy here, a uh, little slow as well. I think if he really focuses on his hand fighting, like just battling a pass rushers and whatnot, and, you know, even when it is like a run play, like battling guys who are trying to block shed you, that would go a long way in helping out his case as a lineman and, you know, just being more dominant as a lineman as well. We know what he can do athletically. Like, I mean, if he gets a hand on somebody, he could definitely dominate them, but... You know, there are going to be guys that are honestly going to have to resort to being a little bit smarter here and having to use their skills and hand fight him because they know they can't beat him physically. And so hand fighting, it helps, you know, it helps defenders get leverage, get into better spots. And, you know, Travis Gray, I think he just needs to continue to work on that here. And then lastly, I think there are definitely times in the run game where he becomes a little bit too fixated on blocking one person and he overcommits, you know, like he's real eager to get out there and go hit somebody, but you know, he doesn't like quite go with the flow of the play. And so it becomes a little like out of sync when you look at the play as a whole. And so I, I mean, that's just timing and working on that stuff. And then as well, when he does overcommit to a defender, he does get out of position to block sometimes. Like he's not in a position to put two hands on a defender because he, he overcommitted, you know, and most of the time, like he just sticks out a arm out there and he pins somebody or something like that. Obviously on the next level, you gotta be a little bit more refined there. You can't be pinning guys with one hand, even if you can, you know, um, I mean, that's just a habit that you kind of want to break out of and get a little bit more disciplined here. So altogether, I think Travis Gray, he's a freak of nature, easily probably the best athlete on this entire list. But there are a lot of little things that, you know, he's going to work on and that I think CU will get him up to par with. So, uh, yeah, Mason, is there anything else you want to add on or uh, talk about here in terms of his areas of improvements? No, I don't think so. I think you really hit everything like right on the head for what he should improve on. And I definitely agree that CU will, you know, kick him in the shape. But I think CU kind of got a steal here, um, you know, with just because he is so raw, I don't think he got all the looks that he honestly deserves. So CU getting him is definitely a steal. Um, is it OK if I go ahead and talk about, you know, outlook for him? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, no, I agree. CU definitely got a steal. Um, I mean, this guy's like Zeus out there, basically. But yeah, go ahead and talk about outlook here. Obviously. He has committed to CU. Actually, most of the players on this list have committed before this season even happened, except for one. And so just keep that in mind. But uh, go ahead and talk about his outlook here over at CU, the University of Colorado. Yeah, so, you know, for me personally, I think that he's probably a two-year starter, which is later on. Um, I think they redshirt him his freshman year get him into that, you know, next level of pass blocking, kind of get his vision down and let him calm down and kind of adapt to that college experience and playing at that next level. Then the next year, I think that he gets some snaps, but I think he sits on the bench for a little while. 
But after that, I see him starting his, you know, I guess that'd be his junior year and his senior year. And I see him, you know, making an impact for the CU Boulder team and helping them, you know, do what they like to do best over there. And that's run the ball. And he's definitely that type of guy. And he's that dude. Do you agree with me, Simon? Yeah, no, I would agree with that. So if he does have two years of play, that basically puts him at three years of development. And I think he should, you know, keep that in mind and whatnot. And that's not a bad thing at all. Maybe he plays a little bit sooner, like depending on injuries and whatnot. But I think I would feel the most comfortable with Travis Gray here as a two-year starter. Like, you know, take your time. Learn the position. Master the position. You know, get all those little things taken care of. You know, be a real student of the game and, you know, take those three years and do what you got to do to get you to that next level. Because honestly, if he does work on those little things here and more, I mean, I feel like, you know, there's probably some other things that I could have said here as well. But I think those um, those are the main ones. If he can get those figured out, I think he's easily an NFL guy. I don't think there's really any doubt there. I think he could be one of the stars on the CU offensive line. I mean, as a senior in high school, as an 18, 19-year-old, whatever, 17-year-old, he is 6'7", 300 pounds, and he's a beast, you know. Um, you can't go wrong with having athletes on your football team. Athletes wins games. You got to always remember that. But you also got to be an athlete that knows what he's doing and is uh, refined as well. Right, Mason? Yeah, I definitely agree. And I definitely agree with the, it saying that if he gets, you know, uses the three years of development, you know, correctly, he could definitely go and, you know, go to that next level past college and go to the league. Yeah. So there you go there. Uh, we'll, we'll just have to see. I, I like Travis Gray a lot, though. I mean, maybe if he does play right tackle, he could potentially get a couple more snaps here. I think a comparison that I really liked, and, you know, when we talked about this list before recording, I said this, but I think Travis Gray is uh, very much a Tristan Wirfs type, uh, the offensive tackle for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think, like, athletically, they're on a pretty, you know, similar level here. Travis is a little bit bigger, a little bit longer at 6'7", which helps him out a lot more here. But, you know, I just think in general – um, if he does put in that work, and I think he will, he definitely is an NFL guy. But it's a long road. Like I said, be patient with it. And, you know, just because he's ranked at number five for this year here in 2022 or 2021, um, 2021, 2022, depends when you're listening to this, doesn't mean he might be the best lineman when all is said and done. And that goes for all these guys, you know, because all these guys have a lot of potential. But I think Travis Gray is – definitely up there potential in potential uh so there you go but with that being said mason do you have anything to add on here before uh we move on no i think that's it all right sounds good all right so coming up next we're going to talk about our number four offensive tackle here in the state of colorado in the class of 2022 What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. We're going to go ahead and talk about our number four ranked offensive tackle here in the class of 2022 here in Colorado. And that is Connor Jones, the 6'7", 
290-pound three-star commit to Michigan. Uh, by the way, Michigan in the college football playoffs, so congrats to them. And so, you know what, Michigan, they are in the college football playoffs. They are going to have a chance to get that championship, and they're getting a guy in Connor Jones who is a proven champion on this Palmer Ridge offensive line and you know one of the founding members of the monument moving company and so with that being said let me go ahead and talk about some of his positives here and so i think connor jones's biggest strength like his brand of football um is honestly his uh, pass protection because he does play left tackle and honestly i think he is very polished at left tackle this dude is six seven 290 pounds he has extremely long arms and altogether i mean he's just refined you know you can look at from basically the bottom up his footwork's great you know his hands are great he always gets leverage on a pretty consistent basis you know keeps defenders at bay keeps pass rushers at bay and honestly all of this allows him to just neutralize pass rushers straight up you know he just does that and that is something that you do not see every day. I think as far as pass protection goes, he is one of the best on this list. You know, as I mean, one of the best on this list in terms of overall pass protection, looking at footwork, looking at hand placement, you know, looking at recognition and all that. And so that is his brand of football. He is an excellent pass protect uh, left tackle here. He's somebody that, you know, protected that blind side of, a uh, couple quarterbacks here in Colorado between McAllister this year it was Hester. He might have started. Mm, I don't know if he started as a freshman. I don't think he did. But you know, if he did, then maybe he got a little bit of uh, Ty Evans in there as well. And you know, he's he's just a force here at left tackle, and really nothing gets past him because of how refined he is, especially as a senior here. Um, the other thing I really like about Connor Jones, extremely powerful hands. You know, when he gets them on you, he could control you. Um, I talked about his long arms. You know, that's already a problem because when you got a guy with long arms and, you know, maybe you're like 6'2", 6'3", that becomes a problem. You know, unless you get your hands on him before he does, uh, I mean, he, he that's a problem, you know. So it kind of forces defensive players and pass rushers to be – uh, quick about it and you know to you know jump the gun a little bit <clears throat> excuse me jump the gun a little bit here as well so that they could get that extra second of control before Connor Jones takes over because once he does I mean he just has powerful hands he's gonna finish you off and uh, just either like pancake you throw you into the ground or you're just gonna stand there and struggle all you want while he holds you at bay that's just what he can do because he's so dominant there and then I think the last thing I just want to say here is that he just gets leverage on a pretty consistent basis in the run and pass game for sure. You know, he always gets uh, low here and gets his hands up in there and does a very nice job there. So skill wise, you know, Connor Jones is extremely refined here. One of the best here in Colorado, one of the best probably ever here in Colorado, at least in recent memory. Mason, is there anything else you want to add on to Connor Jones and uh, his game here before you talk about areas of improvement? The only thing I want to add is just seconding that he is probably one of the best pass blockers that we've seen in Colorado in at least recent history, if not ever. 
Um, his footwork, everything, you can tell he puts his pride and joy in keeping his quarterback clean. And, you know, the Monument Moving Company is kind of an attestament to that. They, you know, they all take their pride and joy and do not want to let anybody ever get in there. Um, but going into the, you know, areas of improvement for him, I think he needs to get a little bit stronger. He needs to, you know, explode out of his stance a little bit more and get a little more explosive when he's on the run blocking. Um, you know, we have it here that like he, he neutralizes defenders, but he doesn't take them like out completely. He doesn't obliterate them. You know, Travis Gray is one of the guys, you know, that you've already heard. He's our number five. He obliterates people in the run. You know, Connor Jones, he's not he's not there yet in the run. And I say yet because I think he has the potential to get there. I think one of the things that makes him not able to do that is the fact that his agility is so low. And it's not like it's, you know, like so low that he can't handle anybody. But I think his agility and speed will get him to that spot where he'll start obliterating people in the run. And, you know, Michigan, they like to run the ball a lot. So, you know, they're definitely going to get him to that next spot. You know, they have to. Um, I don't think he's very versatile because we only saw him play left tackle. But that could also be a testament to the fact that he's such a good pass blocker that, you know, they don't want to move him away from left tackle because they don't need to also because they have so many good linemen over there. Um, I think my biggest worry for him is his speed and agility but i think he has the potential and the the work ethic from what you've seen him be able to do over his years over there at uh he's at palmer ridge right right simon yes yes palmer ridge and you know what he does over there at palmer ridge you know he has the work ethic to put it in and get to that next spot so I that's what I see. Is there anything else you want to add, Simon? No, not too much. I think agility could definitely use a lot of work here. Not a, I'm not as worried about his uh, strength or explosiveness here. I mean, he's gonna get stronger. That's just what happens when you go to a Michigan type of program. And so I'm not really concerned about that. I think he really just needs to work on his agility here, get a little bit faster, a little bit more, um, you know, versatile because when he does go against some of those true speed rushers, they could definitely work around him. When they played Ian Loomis from Loveland here in state last year, you know, he had some trouble keeping up with Ian Loomis because he was so fast. And just in general, some of the faster linebackers, they weren't really big uh, by any means, but, you know, they're quick. They're fast and they're crafty, and so, you know, he got a little bit exposed there. But other than that, I mean, he had a very dominant year this year, and, you know, he has improved as well. And so uh, so there you go. Michigan, they're getting a good one for sure. And so speaking of Michigan, Mason, do you mind if I talk about his outlook here? No, go right ahead. Sounds good. So honestly, I do not know what Michigan's – I guess depth chart looks like right now. Obviously, it's Michigan, so they're always recruiting, right? They're always recruiting um, the best of the best, if possible, either in the Midwest or in the North. And so I think for Connor Jones, uh, whenever he plays, doesn't necessarily, I guess, depend on him. I think it depends more on, you know, who's in front of him right now. I think for sure, take a redshirt year probably won't play even after that and so i can see connor jones being 
more of a two-year starter for Michigan. Uh, maybe three-year starter. We'll have to see. I mean, he's he's talented enough to get up there, I believe. But, you know, it just depends who's there. He's going to have to obviously learn the system that they have over there at Michigan and then, you know, keep up with his academics as well. Michigan isn't exactly the easiest academic school, academic university out there here in the country. And so uh, we'll have to see about that. But I think definitely at least a redshirt year and then maybe like one more year to continue to learn the system. But wouldn't be surprised if he got early reps here uh, because he does have a lot of skill. But you just got to keep in mind it's Michigan. You know, it's the University of Michigan. It's the Michigan Wolverines. They have linemen that they're bringing in every year to, to play. You know, and to compete, and that's what it's going to come down to, competing. You know, it's uh, it's just one of those schools that continuously pumps out good linemen, offensive linemen, defensive linemen. And so, you know, it's going to come down to his, uh, to competing and, you know, seeing how well he stacks up against all these other guys. And so, so yeah. But, uh, Mason, what do you think about that? Uh, I agree. But I think he's more of a two-year guy, two-year starter-wise, just because I know that – you know, I have a couple of buddies who are pretty big Michigan fans, and they all talk about how Michigan always has offensive linemen. You know, their senior class and their juniors are always so, you know, up there and good. Um, I bet you, you know, they have enough people in front of him. He'll probably, you know, redshirt his freshman year. Come in his second year, he might see a couple snaps here and there as like a relief guy if he sees any snaps at all. Junior year, come in, start, and actually do something. And I think he'll be effective. By that point, they're going to have him, you know, probably, you know, 300 plus pounds, you know, get his agility in in spot where they need it. And he's going to be a dominant downhill run blocker. And then he's going to keep the pass blocking that he is already that has got him where he is today. So I feel like two years starting and then, you know, potential after that is all on where he gets himself to. Yeah. No, I'd agree. I, I would probably say I, I could see maybe even starting for one, like one full year as well. And then going back and forth that junior year as well, because uh, you just never know. And so it's it's going to be competitive if he can't start for more than two years for Michigan. I think he's an NFL guy. I'm just going to be honest with you. Don't know what round, don't know you know what his potential is or you know, if he's going to be a pro baller or, you know, be one of those guys that joins a practice squad and they're more of just a practice squad guy. But I think he is somebody, depending on how things go, and it's it's we're looking pretty deep into the future here because that's just how, like, Lyman outlooks go. You know, you got to kind of look deep into the future. But I think, you know, if he does become a multiple-year starter for Michigan, as in, you know, plays out almost every game for multiple years, I think he's an NFL guy because it's not easy to fight your way to the top here, Um, especially at a program like Michigan who, you know, they're going to go, they're in the college football playoffs. And so if they do make a run, even if they make it to the national championship, you already know there's going to be a whole bunch of other recruits coming in, not just this year, but every single year being like, oh, I want to go play for Michigan. And already that's kind of a big deal because people want to play for Jim Harbaugh. And I'm sure that's a big deal. I know Jim Harbaugh actually visited um, Connor Jones here. I think it was last week. So, yeah, a couple of days ago, actually, <laughs> at the time we we're talking about this. So Jim Harbaugh was right here in uh, Colorado. 
And so, I mean, that's a big deal, dude. I mean, people like Jim Harbaugh. And so, yeah, we'll just see about that. But, uh, Mason, do you have anything else you want to add on there? Uh, any messages that you want Connor Jones to pass on to Jim Harbaugh? Um, I do want to say one thing that's insane is if you've seen his, um, you know, Machesney's uh, retweet or he retweeted Machesney because Connor Jones is a Machesney guy over there at six zero, and uh, he just obliterates this defensive end and pass in like pass pro, but you know, just being able to see and have Harbaugh recognize who he is is a huge sign on what they think his potential is. That's true. He came to he came all the way to Colorado Springs to Monument for that. And they just made the I mean, their season's not over either. So <laughs> just uh, you know, there you go there. But uh you know what? Speaking of the speaking of the Big Ten, you know what? We're gonna kinda stay in the Big Ten here and talk about Another Big Ten commit here at the number three spot here in the state of Colorado. Coming up next. Welcome back. And we're going to go ahead and talk about our number three exterior lineman in the class of 2021. And his name is George Fitzpatrick coming out of Cherry Creek High School at 6'6". 245 pounds he is a four-star ohio state commit um before i get started and stuff simon is there anything you want to say before i go into you know the pros of this guy thank you man class of 2022 but uh, other than that you know he won mvp at state against valor christian this last weekend here a couple days ago which uh you don't see every day going to an offensive tackle and then also, I just want to throw this out there as well. We say 245 because that's what's listed on his huddle right now. I know on some other spots like 24-7, they had him at 285, but he definitely lost a lot of weight between last year and this year. Got to see, actually got to meet George Fitzpatrick uh, at Media Day a couple of days ago last week. And uh, I mean, he's, he's 6'6", but 285 definitely not that right now so just gonna throw that out there you could go ahead and talk about why uh george fitzpatrick is on this list and you know why he's a four-star yeah no, i know i i do want to say i was at the you know state game and i would i was very very ecstatic you know being a former offensive lineman and stuff to see him win mvp was kind of sick that they gave it to a, a lineman you know uh, we see him give it to a lot of the skill position guys, and it's nice to see a big guy finally get uh, what he deserved because it, it was well-deserved. And, you know, going straight into his, you know, his pros, at his size, he moves extremely well. His speed is probably the fastest in the state for a lineman. He is insane. His agility moving side to side, quick cuts. He definitely can do a lot of damage. And... I think that's probably his top thing for me personally. I like how versatile he is. You know, they put him out in space. They move him outside of the tackle position if they need him to be, you know, a downfield blocker. You know, he'll move inside if it comes down to it. I saw him on the defensive line as well. That just shows his versatility. He does a very nice job getting leverage very consistently. 
you know, being smaller, like we said, he's listed at 245 right now. He could potentially be bigger. He's definitely, I don't think, 285 anymore. Uh, he looks too slim for that. But, you know, he's definitely able to get the leverage he needs to manhandle people. And on the 5A level, doing it consistent enough to win an MVP at a state title game, you know, you have to be able to do it well. Um, he beats a lot of pass rush moves that other people, you know, I wouldn't say everybody on the list, like below him, but most of the people below him, there's some pass rush moves that you see that are like, wow, like, I don't think people could pick this up. I think Connor Jones could. That's because he's a pass rush like genius back there. But I don't think, you know, George, I don't think. Cherry Creek is the same Cherry Creek without George Fitzpatrick. Do you think that's fair to say, Simon? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think he's the most valuable piece of this offensive line um, because he does so much. And, I mean, they play in the Centennial League as well. So it's not like, oh, there's nobody <laughs> – there's no pass rushers here. Arguably, you know, in that league, there's the best pass rushers. Even if we want to go back a year, you know, there's Walt Kalanji from uh, Grandview this year, obviously – uh, you had uh, Jackson Adams, uh, the other guy, Jared Ramos as well. You know, there's there's pass rushers in this league. And, you know, for Cherry Creek to have their success, I think a lot of it is because of George Fitzpatrick here. And just a second that, you know, I've got to see this guy on multiple occasions. I watched him against the Rapaho live. I watched him against Valor in the state game live. And I watched the live, you know, feed of the Chandler game and all three of those games, he played very effectively and very well, you know, the Arapaho. Yeah, they lost. It wasn't his fault. It was the fact that, you know, they, you know, over there at Arapaho, they have an insane defensive line, but, you know, to say at Valor's game, it was very deserving that he won, you know, MVP. I watched him dominate that offensive line and like on the offensive line, dominate the defensive line that he was facing. No one got past him. He uses the six, six very well. And then the Chandler game, which is one of the top 15 states or 15 schools in all of the United States. He dominated. He was well handling it. So I think he's very deserving of this number three spot. I think if he was still a little bit bigger, he could probably be, you know, higher up on this list. But that's all I have to say. Is there anything else you want to add, Simon, before going into areas of improvement for this guy? No, not too much. Honestly, uh, <clears throat> this year he got it done. It was obvious that he wasn't as heavy as he was before. That I'm just going to say that. It was just obvious. But he still got it done. I mean, and he does that by getting good leverage in the run and pass game. Uh, and when he does that, he just manhandles linemen because like a lot of these guys on this list, extremely strong hands that allows him to do this. Now, you know, it's one thing to manhandle a lineman. It's another thing to pancake him. I think that's important to say here because I'm just, I just want to throw that out there because, you know, he's, I mean, he's controlling these dudes out there. And so that's important to keep in mind here. I think against speed rushers, he does especially well because he just moves naturally really well. Even last year when he was at the 280, uh, you know, around there at that weight, like he moved really well. Like they would have this guy run out and block 
for wide receiver screens. And he would get out there and get it done. Against Chandler, like you said, uh, Mason, I mean, Chandler, they're a great program, obviously, in the entire United States. If you really wanted to, go ahead and look at, you know, all the recruits Chandler has uh, in this class of 2022 and so forth. And, you know, you'll see the guys that Fitzpatrick completely just beat. You know, um, I got to look through some of the film from that game. And, I mean, he was doing his thing. Like, he was dominating in that game. And you got to, I mean, that's that's as good as it gets. You know, Chandler, they did their thing. I believe they beat Hamilton this year. Shoot, I'm not sure. I'm, it doesn't matter. I, I think they beat Hamilton. If they didn't, then they got close to. And Hamilton, they did beat Bishop Gorman, which is one of the top ten powerhouses, arguably top five powerhouses the entire country and so i'm just throwing all that out there you know george fitzpatrick he's obviously the real deal he's the highest rated lineman um on this list for the class of 2022 and there's a reason why now let me talk about why he's at number three here because honestly i think if we went off of everyone's junior year film here like everyone on this list we just went off of their junior year film and just focused on that instead of their senior year film, then he would have a very, very good argument for number one uh, on this list. I think there's no doubt about that. A guy at 6'6", 280 to move the way he does and dominate the way he does at left tackle, absolutely insane, right? This is the class of 2022 list, and I feel like we need to talk about his senior year here because in his senior year, he definitely lost a significant amount of weight. Like I said, was listed at 285. On Huddle, he was listed at 245. That's 40 pounds that you lose basically in a year. And so I'm kind of wondering if Ohio State will play in that tight end, maybe. Maybe that's Ryan Day's decision here. Uh, or if they're going to be like, uh, we'll see if we put you at tight end or O-line. And then for now, Cherry Creek wanted him to be a little bit wider. So that's kind of just what I'm wondering here. You know, why why did he lose so much weight? Uh, because, you know, it's very obvious that he lost the weight because he gets, uh, you know, a little, little overpowered at times at this weight. Now he doesn't, you know, lose leverage. He, he doesn't all of a sudden lose the ability to manhandle a player with his strong hands. But it's noticeable that he's not going to pancake as many people as he did when he was at a higher weight. And so I think that's important to keep in mind here because at this lower weight, he just doesn't get the same push. It's obvious. Like, I mean, he's able to manhandle people because he has great mechanics or, uh, yeah, mechanics and, you know, fundamentals and all that. But the athleticism part of this here, the power and all that is just not there. It's just not. Um, at least not where it was when he was a little bit heavier. And I think that is my biggest area of concern here. Probably my only area of concern here, honestly. And that's why he's at number three instead of two or one. And so I just want to make that obvious here. That's why we have him at three because we are factoring factoring in his senior year. You know, that's what we do for all of these lists here. You know, we have to factor in the senior year. Can't just go off of last year. And so, Mason, what do you have to say about that? Is there anything else you want to add on here? In my opinion, I think the power and strength is the biggest concern for me. If he was to play offensive tackle. Now, if he was to play tight end, I think he'd be fine. But 
this is a tackle list, you know? No, I 100% agree. Um, going on that next level, if he plays tight end, he'll be fine. If he plays offensive tackle, I feel like they're going to make him gain some weight. Um, definitely. And, you know, Ohio State's no slouch to having, you know, good offensive linemen and playing at that next level. So I think that is an area that he needs to work on. And he needs, I think, for one, he needs to talk to the Ohio State staff, you know, the coaching staff over there. But I also think he needs to make the decision once he figures it out what he's going to play and commit to it. And, you know, obviously being a four-star, he has no no slouch to committing to something. So, you know, we'll see where he goes. But is it okay if I go ahead and talk, you know, outlook for this guy? Yep, uh, go for it. And maybe he already has talked to the Ohio State coaching staff, and that's what they want to do. But we're just going to throw that out there for now. But, yeah, go ahead and talk about outlook here. Um, talk about outlook first as if he was going to play tackle and then tight end is what I would say. So, talking for tackle, um, you know, I think his outlook for tackle is he's probably a two-year starter, just like the rest of the guys that we've talked about so far. Um, And I think that's mainly because of his size, because his technique is there. His, you know, he has the intangibles and the athleticism. He needs the size back. So, it'll take him a couple years to get size back. And it'll take him a couple years to get back to where his intangibles are as good as they are now with the size. And I think after that, he'll probably start two years. You know, over at Ohio State, they have a lot of commits, just like Michigan. You know, they have a lot of people that go there because they want to play football. So he's going to have to fight for it. But I think he has what it takes to play for two years as a starter. If not two years, it'll probably be like one and a half as a full-time starter. But then as a tight end, I don't know what his hands look like, but as a blocking tight end, he starts, I think, one year, you know, to kind of get into the position and learn the position as a, you know, red shirting. But after that, I think he starts year two and is a three year as a tight end just because of his size and just his pure athleticism. Uh, Is that fair to say, Simon? Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, if he was to play tight end, I could see that for sure. I think, I think honestly at tackle, if he was to gain back the 40 pounds, 50 pounds, whatever, you know, and get in the 280 to 300 range, I could see him maybe being a three-year starter. So, you know, red shirt, I mean, he's going to have this off season, obviously. And then, you know, red shirt. So that's a whole another year on that. I think if he does that, he should be back at the 6'6", 285, 290 range. Honestly, if he was, if he went to Ohio State last year, I think he would have competed for a starting spot for sure. Um, and so now he has another year under his belt. He weighs a lot less. I think if he was to get back to this weight, you know, with that experience he already has, I think he could, you know, make a very, very solid push to be a starter on this offensive line and you know because of how athletic he is and you know uh, and because of how well he does his job both in pass pro and in the run block game I think he could be started uh almost anywhere on this line probably almost anywhere on this line except for maybe center I could see him be a starting tackle right tackle guard like I could see it happen that's how versatile George Fitzpatrick is because of his athleticism when he is there strength wise and so 
that's why I kind of see it maybe as more of a three-year type of starter, maybe two-and-a-half-year type of starter. Like, he battles for that spot and eventually gets it. Because, I mean, I just think he's a good player. And, you know, when you are ranked as a four-star, that's uh, a little bit of the expectation. And I think Fitzpatrick is definitely not overrated. And so I think... <clears throat> He could definitely be a potential three-year starter. Two-year for sure, though, at tackle, at tight end. You know, I am I mean, I've seen his hands, but I haven't seen it on a consistent basis. He could probably be a three-year to two-year starter as you're probably more of a three-year starter because, I mean, he's somebody that blocks extremely well and whatnot. And so we're just going to have to see. But for now, congrats to George Fitzpatrick for winning MVP of that 5A state championship game and, and three-peating as well, which is pretty insane when you think about it, but that's just who Cherry Creek is. Uh, Mason, anything else to add on here? Only thing I want to say is I think his, like, ceiling is so high. You know, like, it really is the sky's the limit with this guy, and it all depends on the work he puts in. So I'd like I'd like to see and I'd like to see, you know, three, four years down the line. We do. Where is he at type of thing for this player? You know what? I would as well. And so with that being said, that wraps up this segment. And uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about our number two ranked offensive tackle here in the class of 2022. What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. We're talking the big boys, the offensive tackles here. And at number two, our number two offensive tackle here in the state of Colorado in the class of 2022 is the 6'5", 276-pound three-star commit, recent three-star commit to Air Force. That is Alec Falk from Palmer Ridge High School one of the founding members of that monument moving company next to Connor Jones here. And so uh, before we go into this, I'm going to go ahead and say this. I know he played a lot of interior linemen this year, but I feel like he definitely has more of a history at right tackle, which is where he played the majority of his high school career. So I'm just going to say that for now uh, and then go ahead and hop into this because I do think he's really good and he does deserve to be number two on the spot or in this spot here on our top five list and so the thing that i like the most the thing that really separates him from a lot of players not only in the state of colorado but in the country is that he's an athletic freak he has exceptional speed exceptional agility like very good agility he could get out there and then he is a very powerful powerful lineman here at 6'5 276 pounds I feel like his athleticism also allows him to be versatile and move around on the O-line playing some guard and tackle. And, you know, here on the Playmaker's Corner, we value versatility. And so for him to play both guard and tackle and do a good job at both, honestly, um, is pretty big. This year he played a lot of guard uh, in his senior year. Last year, at least at the film that I looked at, he was definitely their starting right tackle. And so... He showed his skills both, you know, on the edge and in the interior. And I feel like you have to value that. Um, you just have to, you know, when you're recruiting offensive linemen out of high school. Because versatility, it's everything. 
You know, it can mean the difference between you starting uh, for three or four years and then one or two years. So just going to throw that out there. Uh, I also think he uses his hands really well. He battles speed rushers with his hands extremely well. And uh, when he did play right tackle last year, he did a good job of, you know, just neutralizing a lot of those guys and pancaking them and beating them out here. And, you know, he also has really good hands, obviously, when he's, uh, you know, trying to run block as well. You know, guys try to put a move on him and, you know, he returns the favor and he gets them and gets his hands on them and, you know, goes in and blows them up. And then just in general, I think he's a dominant impact blocker. He gets to the second level really well, picks up blocks extremely well in pass pro as well. Uh, he's obviously a smart offensive lineman. Let's just say that, you know, watching some of his film from last year at offensive tackle, there were times where you could see him, you know, identify uh, who he's supposed to block on a blitz or a stun or whatever. And then he goes ahead and he gets them, you know, and he uh, pancakes them and then he go gets the next guy or whatever, you know. And the interior, when he played interior offensive lineman, you saw the same thing. When teams would run, uh, you know, stunts with their tackles and whatnot, he wouldn't over-pursue or get out of place. You know, he stayed disciplined, uh, stayed in pass pro, did a very good job there, and then he would go blow somebody up. And, you know, I think the biggest thing about Alec Falk is that, you know, he finishes blocks as well, whether it's pass or run. So you just got to keep that in mind. Uh, I mean, on his highlight reel, you'll see it. Like, he's just out there and he's just blasting people, whether it's uh, in the pass or the run. And, uh, I mean, it's just because he's a freak of nature, especially when he's pulling as well. When he's pull blocking, I mean, he's lethal. The number of times he just absolutely hammered, like, outside linebackers, edge rushers this year was absolutely insane even last year as well you know he would do it time after time again and just lead block for you know all those athletes they have over there at palmer ridge but uh mason is there anything else you want to add on here before you talk about some areas of improvement the only thing i want to add for this guy is that i feel like he is so like football iq smart it's insane you can see him, you know, go through the entirety of the field. Um, and like you, I bet you he's the type of guy that you show a play and how it's set up and then he could tell you what you need to do to make it work. That's the type of player he is. And it shows on the field day in and day out. But going into like the areas improvement for this guy, I feel like when he goes through the trenches and he doesn't have a full vision and it's all reaction time, he gets a little loss. And that is the lack of awareness. But I don't think it's every time. I think it's, you know, occasionally it happens. And um, I don't know how good he'd be if he's not next to such, you know, such a strong offensive line all over. Because, you know, his versatility is higher than Connor Jones because he plays the multiple positions. But I think Connor Jones, you know, has set that level and that position. So I think that is, you know, kind of where I see him. But my biggest weakness for him, I think, or, you know, area of improvement is he gets ahead of himself in pass blocking and he leans into it. You know, a very well off, you know, a Jared Ramos a Jackson Adams, a Nathan Hallmark, those type of guys, they'll make, when you lunge at them, 
they're going to, you know, take your outside shoulder. They're going to dip and rip or they're going to swim move depending on where you're at. And they're going to get by you. And I think it once he calms down and figures those minor things out, I think he's unstoppable. Do you think that's fair, Simon? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, he probably was a little, I think he was definitely a bit underrated here. Uh, obviously, I mean, playing against guys like Connor Jones, Jackson St. Aubin, you know, all these guys on this Palm Ridge offensive line that makes them so legendary definitely takes a little bit away from him, which is why Connor Jones is ranked a little bit lower here. Um, but, but no, yeah, I definitely agree with what you had to say there. You know, I think he does have some things to work on. Um, obviously playing guard this year. He looked a little uncomfortable at times, and so you got to keep that in mind. He looked a lot more comfortable at right tackle last year. I think that is important to keep in mind as well. And so maybe his uh, more natural um, position is probably right tackle. And so I'm I'm gonna probably stick with that at least for now. So uh, so yeah, but he did commit to Air Force. And so Mason, uh, do you want to talk about his outlook here? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think committing to Air Force, you know, I think personally, he's a better player than Air Force. Air Force got a steal. Uh, um, Air Force is going to be able to use him. And I think he, at Air Force, he could be a day one starter. At a different program, like such as like an Ohio State, a bigger, you know, like a Pac-12 or a Big Ten those type of play, places where I think he could play, easily walk in and play. I say he's a two-year starter. But at Air Force, I see him as a day one. What do you think, Simon? Yeah, I mean, I <clears throat> I saw that he committed to Air Force. Uh, at, well, at the time of recording this, it was last week. He was the only guy on this list who did not commit to a college before the season started and you know honestly i'm not mad at you know going to air force i mean if he has a full right to air force that's great you know that's a automatic career path for him there as well also it's in colorado springs or well in between monument and colorado springs and so uh, basically i mean he'd be right at home um excuse me he'd be right at home at air force and so I mean, if he likes it, he likes it. And I think he is probably a day one starter. I mean, he is a three-star guy, but he's probably a higher three-star guy. At 6'5", 276, he has a good size. He'll probably bump up to 280, 285. But I think he has a very good chance to compete, you know, for a starting spot, whether it's at tackle, guard, center, whatever. I think he could do it all, you know. And so he has multiple positions that he can compete for. Uh, moving forward and whatnot and i'm really excited for him i think he's a very underrated player here regardless i think he was going to be a top three player whether fitzpatrick had the weight or not so just gonna say that uh top three offensive tackle so i'm just gonna say that there because i think i mean he's just an exceptional athlete that combined with you know his skill his size i mean you really can't go wrong there he would have started for a lot of fcs d1 schools as well so Day one, that is. What do you think about that statement, Mason? No, I definitely agree. I think he is one of probably... There's a reason he's number two. 
he is one of the most exceptional players in Colorado. And the Air Force, you know, I like that, you know. I just, for one, I like that he has an offer. I like that he's able to go there. But I think he is a better than what Air Force is. And, you know, for me personally, I feel like he's better than I feel like he's better than Air Force. And I feel like he could start almost anywhere in the entire country. But, you know, him choosing Air Force, that's his decision. And I think, honestly, like, it might be the best spot for him if that's where he thinks it is. And I think he's going to kill it no matter where he's at. So that's all I really have to say for it. But I I 100% agree. He is a remarkable player. Absolutely. So... There you go there. But uh, you know what? We're going to go ahead and move on. We have our number one offensive tackle here at the state of Colorado in the class of 2022. We're going to talk about him. We're also going to talk about honorable mentions coming up next. What's good, y'all? Welcome back. Do the Playmakers Corner podcast before we talk about our number one offensive tackle here in the state of Colorado in the class of 2022. We're going to talk about some honorable mentions because there are a lot of guys here that, you know, just barely missed our list and they're all ranked. And so, well, at least the honorable mentions we'll talk about right here are all ranked. I know there are a couple guys that aren't ranked that deserve some love as well. We'll eventually get breakdowns of them done. Um, thinking of a couple of Fountain Fort Carson guys, but for now, I'm going to talk about all of the ranked offensive tackles that just barely missed out on our list, and obviously we'll eventually do a breakdown of them in the future. But the first one is Braden Miller out of Eagle Crest. He's a three-star uh, commit to Michigan State. Uh, the next one is another three-star guy in Caden Weatherby. He is also from Eagle Crest. I just noticed they're from the same school. Um, committed to Texas Tech. And then you got John Pastor. actually met this guy uh, last week. Well, at least when I'm recording this, it would have been last week uh, at Media Day. But he plays for Erie High School. He is a three-star uh, committed to Kansas State. And then, and then we have... Uh, our last three-star honorable mention here in Aaron Karras from Pomona High School committed to Nevada, to the University of Nevada. So there you go there. And then last but not least, we have two guys here who are not uh, committed as of right now, but they are two-star guys. And one of them is from Chatfield High School, Jackson McCullough. And then the other one is from Centaurus High School, Spencer Mickleberry. So those are our six honorable mentions there. Obviously, as you could hear, four of them were three-star guys, so it was really hard. It's kind of narrowed down this list, but we did it. And we'll eventually get breakdowns of those guys done um, eventually, along with all the other guys who are not ranked as well. Uh, because Colorado is low-key an offensive lineman state. But, you know, speaking of an offensive lineman state, you know, let's talk about the top dog here. Mason, do you want to go ahead and talk about our number one guy here? Introduce him and, you know, uh, and then talk about some of the reasons why he is the number one offensive tackle in the state? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, to start, he, you know, he's 6'5", 265. He's committed to Stanford. It's Jake or Michael. Um, I just want to say, like, leverage is the name of this guy's game. I'm going to hop right into his positives. He gets consistent leverage. 
and he gets pushes in the run game. And you know, over there at Valor Christian, they hand the ball off, you know, 30, 40 times a game. And he is not afraid to be the first guy to make contact on that offensive line. You know, he's coming from the left side. He just dominates a defender in the blocking for like run. You know, he doesn't play around. He's very powerful. And his hands, once they're on you, they're like clamps. They do not let go. He dominates hand fighters. Everybody in the game does not. They, they just cannot handle how many pancakes this guy gets. You know, he has both really good speed and really good agility. And he can neutralize all the speed pass rushers, which is insane because at the 5A level, there's a lot of them. Um, you know, in that 5A game, uh, the state championship game against Creek, I watched him, you know, facing Blake Purchase, who is a very good pass rusher, probably one of the best of his grade. I believe he's a junior. He he pretty much shut him down when Blake was on his side. They switched Blake around a lot. They bounced him back and forth all around that line. And for being 265, he is so powerful. And if he got to that 300 range, you know, around 300 pounds, maybe a little bit heavier, which I think he will at Stanford. He is, let's let's say like, he's unstoppable at that size. You know, if he can keep his speed and agility, but be 300 pounds, he's an NFL guy through and through how it's going to be. But I think one of like his most impressive things is the fact that he has a 3.89 GPA. And I don't remember exactly how many, but Simon, how many is it? The Ivy League schools that offered him? I know he has Harvard. I know he has Stanford. He has Penn. You know, he has a lot of Ivy Leagues. Yeah, he does. Offers from them. Uh, Yale was on that list. University of Columbia up in New York, which is a really hard school to get into, is on that list. And I think Dartmouth was on that list as well so he's he's obviously a smart enough guy to well first off talented enough to be looked at by you know some of these big ivy league schools but also you know smart enough to you know be able to get into some of these ivy league schools because they wouldn't offer him if they didn't think that he could get accepted you know yeah no definitely and you know i think that's just a testament to his iq on the football field not only on but off but, you know, his football vision is so good that when you see him, like, you know, if he pull blocks, he's the first guy and he'll make contact with the correct block. If he's going down the field, he makes the correct reads. I think this guy is, like I said, he's an NFL guy for sure. And he is on that next level. Is there anything else you want to add before going into areas of improvement, Simon? No, not too much here, but honestly, I mean, this dude's just a beast. First off, athletically, he's right up there with the best, you know, just a very complete athlete between his speed, agility, and his power. You know, we talked about him at 265, and, you know, a lot of the reason why he's able to manhandle players is because he does get leverage pretty much all the time, um, pretty con as consistent as you could get, and he does have pretty powerful hands, but, you know, he is obviously a strong dude, you know, to back all of that up. And so, you know, when you have that and you have a lineman that can move pretty well at his size, you know, you got a guy that, you know, is a very versatile blocker and can make all these great blocks and could uh, block all these different types of defenders. And, you know, that's something you really got to keep in mind here. He's just a very complete athletically, not to mention, I mean, 
skill-wise, I think he might be one of the most skilled offensive linemen um, in the entire state, if not the entire country, you know. Getting leverage every play is not an easy thing to do in the pass and run game, and he does it. You know, he does it. He gets up in there, and he does it consistently, even against some uh, out-of-state competition. You saw that as well. I think Christian Oaks, oh, my God. I think that's their name. And then East Catholic. They're both schools on the West Coast. You know, he handled those pass rushers really, really well over there. And so, you know, these are all things to keep in mind here. And uh, I'd have to agree. I mean, with what you said, he's a very smart dude. He barely misses any blocks. He's a very dominant, just a blocker in general, you know, and he's not somebody that is raw or anything like that. Like he knows where he's supposed to be and he goes ahead and gets it done or finds a way to get it done. And then um, I think I just want to include this last point before I talk about areas of improvements. But recovery speed, I think that's something that's real underrated with Lyman. There are times where he does get beat. But, you know, because of his great agility, you know, he's able to kind of uh, recover and get back to a spot where, you know, he could hold up somebody and whatnot and, you know, still make the block and prevent a play from happening. And I think that's something that's really, really underrated when it comes to alignment here. But he does that very well. And, you know, he doesn't overcommit or anything trying to recover. Like, he does what he's fundamentally um, told to do, basically. What he's fundamentally fundamentally supposed to do so there you go but uh in terms of talking about areas of improvements not many i think it's important to just keep this in mind uh, because he is our number one player here we're definitely nitpicking here but you know there are things here that i feel like he needs to you know he, he needs to improve or figure out if he wants to start sooner than later you know and one of those things I think when he's pass blocking, there are definitely times where he's a little bit too fixated on the defender right in front of him and wants to pancake him. Um, and, you know, it doesn't happen all the time, but I've seen it enough where, you know, I notice it. But, you know, when it does happen, he either gets out of position or he misses an extra blitzer on the edge that, I mean, you know, he's not going to see because he's too busy pancaking this defensive uh, and or linebacker right in front of him, right? And so I think, you know, just being a little bit more disciplined there, I'm not too concerned about that. It didn't happen a lot. It's just, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that you got to eventually take care of and clean up, uh, especially on the next level. And then speaking on the next level, I don't think his weight is the biggest concern, but I do believe he will have to be at about, you know, 280 280 pounds at the minimum if he wants to get a chance at starting on the next level. Uh, you got to keep this in mind. Stanford, they are in the Pac-12. They are a Power 5 school. So that means the tackles they are bringing in are a bunch of 300-pound beasts. You know, 6'6", 300. That's kind of the minimum when you are going to a Power 5 school like Stanford. And so I just feel like, you know, if he wants to be able to compete, I think 280 at the minimum, that's a great spot to be at. Ideally, you know, I think 290 is probably a little bit more of a realistic goal. Uh, 300 would be super, super ideal, though. I think if he could play at 300, you know, then he would probably be set for the rest of his career 
smoking, maybe give or take a couple pounds here and there. But regardless, I think he just needs to put on weight. At 265, it's not the lightest, but also you got to think it is the Pac-12. In the division they're in, there's uh, teams like Oregon. Oregon this year, they have a Kayvon Thibodeau, who's supposed to be a top five, you know, uh, draft pick this year. Now, he may not stay, but, you know, that's kind of the talent that you can expect out of a Power 5, Pac-12 type of conference here. And so, I'm just going to be honest, it's easier to throw around 265 pounds than 290, 280 pounds. You know, that's just, I mean, that's just simple math there. And so, uh, just putting on a little bit more weight, I, it's not the biggest priority, but if he does want to start sooner than later, I think that is the move. And speaking of starting sooner than later mason do you want to talk about his outlook here moving forward obviously he's committed to stanford right here but uh you know when do you think he's going to get on the field yeah no i definitely think that he's going to redshirt his freshman year um i think i don't think a redshirt is ever a bad thing uh kind of gets you into that next level and you know going somewhere like stanford that's like that's ivy league so like he's gonna have a lot of homework a lot of different things. He could probably overload his schedule for his freshman year because he is redshirting and then kind of lower it for the next couple of years when he's going to be playing. Because I think his second year, as long as he can throw on the weight, he's going to be playing. He has too many intangibles not to. So I think as a sophomore, you know, he'll probably be on the line, probably getting over 50% of the snaps, if not all of the snaps. Junior year, he's going to start 100% of the snaps. And then same with senior year. And then as long as he keeps on the same track that he is now, he's probably going to be drafted. So I think that's where I see, you know, Jake Michael. Uh, uh, do you agree with me, Simon? Yeah, no, for sure. I want to talk about that academics actually a little bit more here because, look, it is Stanford. It's not an easy school to get into first off. But, you know, to get a degree from Stanford, that's a big deal. You know, whether it's a – bachelor's master's like doctorates whatever any degree from stanford is a big deal with a degree from stanford you could get you know a, i mean you could get a lot of great job opportunities outside of football starting at 70 to 80k a year minimum that's on the lower end you know ideally you'd be probably making six figures to start out coming out of college depending on what you're doing and so you just got to keep that in mind and so i think a redshirt year is probably more important to him academically than I would say uh, sport athletically, sports-wise, just because it's going to be an adjustment period, getting used to Stanford, you know, getting used to what they expect out of you. And yeah, if you can stack up some of those classes, go for it. But also, taking that redshirt year does allow you to, you know, kind of stretch out your classes a little bit more here spread out your classes here so that you're not taking as many in one semester you know uh because at that point you know basically you're going to be trying to get a four-year degree in five years that's always going to be easier and plus you know i don't want to say that he's going to fail any classes but in case you do fail any classes you do have a little bit of a buffer there and you could at least catch up and not have to do one year on your own money which is the thing that you don't want to do when uh, you're going to an Ivy League because they're expensive, even if you have to stay there one semester. And so I, I just can't stress enough how you got to focus on those academics. Like just really, Jake, if you're listening to this, just really focus on that. That'll be the biggest thing. Obviously, you know, you'll be working out. You'll be learning the playbook. 
and all that, you know, Stanford, they don't exactly have the easiest playbook either. So there's things there. But I do think if you can't get past that redshirt year, put on some weight, I think you can compete for a starting job on anywhere on the offensive line, you know, after that redshirt year. You know, he's a very versatile type of guy. His skill set is something that you can move across the line over to guard or center or even to the right tackle spot. And so that's kind of where I see him right now and if he does start for multiple years for Stanford it's hard to imagine that you know maybe he doesn't become an NFL draft pick and yeah I am saying draft pick because it does take a lot to start at a school like Stanford for multiple years and whatnot so so yeah but anything else you want to add on there Mason no I 100% agree I definitely think you know I like the the focusing on school your freshman year just while you redshirt because Stanford's not going to be an easy school to you know have and then not only that is then you're right starting at Stanford is not going to be easy and for him to be able to do it for three years draft pick is not out of the picture well there you go there and so just to go back over our top five list that number five we have Travis Gray the three-star out of Cherokee Trail committed to the University of Colorado at number four, we have Connor Jones from Palmer Ridge High School, the three-star committed to the University of Michigan. At number three, we have George Fitzpatrick, the four-star committed to, or sorry, the four-star out of Cherry Creek High School, committed to the Ohio State University. At number two, we have Alec Falk from Palmer Ridge, the three-star committed to Air Force. Then at number one, your number one offensive tackle in the state of Colorado in the class of 2022 is Jake Michaela out of Valor Christian High School. Uh, three-star committed to Stanford. And with that being said, you know, that basically wraps up this list, our offensive lineman list for this year in general. Colorado becoming a offensive line state. Mason, would you agree with this statement? I think Colorado is probably a top 10, top 8 school or school top 10 top eight state in the country when it comes to producing offensive linemen for the next level do you feel that is true or false oh i 100 percent agree there we produce way too many linemen to the d1 level every year not to and you know a lot of our programs around here like to run the ball which means you have to have good linemen to run the ball effectively and we definitely run it effectively so i feel we are definitely i say top eight and it's great to see, you know, and, you know, me being a lineman, like an ex-lineman myself, it's great to, you know, break down these guys' you know, film and be able to be like, you know, these guys are going to, you know, Pac-12, Power 5 schools. So it's cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. Even Jake Michael, I feel like he's probably the best of Valor Christian players since uh, the McCaffrey's. And so, uh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and stick with that. And that's because that's how good he is. And, you know, the guys behind him, they aren't any slouches either. And so it really does mean something to be number one on this list, on any lineman list uh, moving forward. So, uh, so yeah. But with that being said, thank you so much for rocking with us. You know, if you want to go ahead and show us some love on our social medias, you should. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Playmakers Corner. Um, we are also on YouTube. We are slowly but surely uploading all of our episodes as of well 
since the beginning, so starting from last year. But we're getting there, and so if you want to check out some throwback episodes, uh, go ahead and take a look there. You know, we got some interviews up there right now, so uh, so there you go. And then, you know, if you are listening to us on a major streaming platform like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever, you know, go ahead and leave us a good review and rating. We really appreciate those. Eventually, we're going to do a reading of those. I will figure that out. So, so yeah, but um, I have been one of your co-hosts, Simon Moyanos, a.k.a. Coach V. And I am your other co-host, Mason Austin. And peace.